welcome to the Fertility Conversations podcast. The goal of this podcast is to create more awareness about infertility and to provide support to people trying to conceive. Thank you for listening today, and we hope you will be encouraged. And now, here is your host, Ola. Welcome to another episode of Fertility Conversations. Today, I'm joined by a lovely guest, Professor Joyce Harper. She is the Director of Education at the Institute for Women's Health in London. She's also a fellow infertility warrior who endured seven years of fertility treatments to have her children. She's the co-founder of Fertility Education UK, which was set up to create awareness from a very young age. Her latest book, Fertile Years, provides a lot of information about fertility and is a must read for everyone. Her details would also be in the show notes. So welcome, Professor Joyce, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. Thank you. So to start off, please tell us a little bit about yourself. So, um, yeah, I um, am a scientist. I'm a reproductive scientist, and I started working in the field of infertility back in 1987. I'd finished my PhD and I, um, to be totally frank, I was looking for jobs and saw a job advertised as a clinical embryologist. And Louise Brown, the first IVF yeah. baby, yeah. was born in 1978. So this is less than 10 years. This is 1987. So less than 10 years after the birth of Louise Brown, I just thought this is a, a fantastic new area that's going to really change people's lives. So I worked for five years as a clinical embryologist in one of the biggest clinics in the UK. And then I had always had a passion for research and for teaching and education. So I wanted to get back to the university setting. So in 1992, I moved to um, a joint position, starting off with the Hammersmith Hospital, where we started working on pre-implantation genetic testing. And then later as a lecturer at University College London, where I've been ever since. So, (laughs) um, but then, as you said in the introduction, um, we'll talk about this during this uh, interview. I then ended up finding myself um, having infertility and had to go through infertility treatment. So it's, it's very hard being on the other side of this. So I absolutely understand anyone who's having problems and how they feel. Um, And my work over the last 10 years has really been that um, I want to educate the public. I've spent most of my career educating health professionals and people Mm. who are going to work in this field um, through my work at University College London. But I I thought I, I want to share with people what I've learned and also try to prevent people having to go through what I went through. So I'll tell you more about that when we talk about the book and how that arose. Right. Thank you so much for sharing. And let's talk about your fertility journey, because, you know, you you said now that you ended up having fertility issues and needed treatments. So can you tell us about your journey? Yeah. So I had always wanted to have children around the age of 30. And actually, I'm just this afternoon preparing our research that we did last year where we asked women Um, now how what what's their ideal age and and that was still the most common age and we've even asked started asking teenagers and most people it's still the same actually I thought it was going to be older but most people do want children around the age of 30 so that's interesting that that's not changed in all these years 
Um, but my partner at the time wasn't ready to have children. We'd been together many years and he wasn't ready. So at 32, I found myself single. Um, and I'm very aware of our biological clock. And what I should have done is started trying to find a partner who was ready then at 32. <clears throat> but life goes very quickly. And I didn't find a partner until I was 35. And one of the first conversations we had was, do you want to have children? <laughs> because I knew that my biological clock was ticking. Um, and so he did want to have children. And we, we never used contraception. Uh, we, we tried from, from day one. Um, and, and I know I was really lucky to be in that situation. I know it's a difficult conversation for women. I know. Yeah. So actually, especially but, so early. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I absolutely, I know many people in that situation. They say, well, I don't want to ask him. I say, no, ask him now. You can't waste any time. But anyway, um, we, <clears throat> we tried for at least a year and nothing happened. And, you know, I knew I was having intercourse at the right time and everything. And I was starting to have hormone checks. And then the snowball starts, more checks, more tests. Then the intrauterine insemination and the IVF and frozen embryos, et cetera, et cetera. So I had my first son just before my 40th birthday, which had not been my plan A by any means. And then... Um, after a bit more treatment, I was really lucky to have twins from frozen embryo transfer. So it was a long journey of seven years. And I, I, I think anyone who's been through this, whether they have children or not, will tell you that that trauma never leaves. And even now talking about it, you know, it makes me uncomfortable. I, I can remember those feelings through all of those years and the yearning to, to have children um and i've got three amazingly wonderful children and it's it's really something that i don't want people to have to go through and try, we want to try and reduce this as much as possible so this is where all of my my research work and my teaching now is framed around this that's amazing so glad that you you did have uh, your children as you desired and wanted uh, and now that you're now giving back and like, you know, educating so many people so they don't have to go through similar experiences. And of course, as I noted earlier, you released your uh, book, Fertile Years, just recently, I believe in April of this year. So let me tell you the story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, so it's another great story. When I started working in this field in 1987, I, I was learning all of this about fertility. My PhD hadn't been on fertility. Um, and um, as I said, it was a very new field. And I was learning all these amazing things about fertility, about our menstrual cycle, about our fertile time. And I actually was discussing this with all of my friends, people who were scientists, people who are not scientists, and they didn't know any of this. So I actually started writing the book. I wrote about 40,000 words in 1987. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know. And then I don't know. Life, my one message, life goes very quick. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, about 10 years ago, um, I think it was also, you know, me then having children, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I just thought, I've got, I've got to do this. I've got to write this book. So I started by setting up a website called Global Women Connected. And um, 
we post on there some information about fertility and about, about what happens globally as well with women's health. Um, and I thought that was going to be enough, but then I realized, no, I've got to write the book. And I, mm. I got a lot of in, interesting feedback and comments and thoughts from global women that helped me frame the book and think like, this is what I think women could really benefit from knowing. So mm -hmm. then I got a sabbatical from my university a few years ago and um, then was lucky to find a really excellent publisher who did very few edits to the book. And so it's out, it, it was out uh, last month uh, in April and I'm just now keen to, I mean, ideally to do roadshows and things with groups of women, yeah. but we're not quite there in the UK yet. We still can't really do face-to-face mm -hmm. -face events, but hopefully soon. Um, and I, I normally travel a lot to conferences and I, I really want to get this conversation moving. And there's been lots of other people who have also been doing excellent work on fertility education. So um, the, the, the snowball is going and I, I want us to increase that and really make sure that women understand how their bodies work, whether they're trying to get pregnant or not, whether they're going through the menopause, whether they're um, looking at contraception, um, whether they're trying not to get pregnant or trying to get pregnant. There's so much that we've never been taught. Yeah. And I want people to make informed choices. And the one thing I don't want to hear, and we hear it a lot at the moment is, but no one ever told me this. Mm -hmm. yeah. I didn't know. Why didn't I know? If I, if I didn't know this, how was I supposed to do things differently? So I, I want us to have education really globally so that we can really do this properly. Yes, and it's so important, like you said. And it's interesting, actually, when you spoke about uh, periods and menstruation. And I got married thinking, <laughs> when I think about that, it was so silly. I actually thought you could get pregnant any day of the month because, you know, that's all I was told, like, don't get closer, boy, you're going to get pregnant. So I just assumed it was every day. And then finding out later, it's just a few days in a month. It was You're so shock. right. We're doing a survey at the moment with teenagers and um, we've asked them the, the exact question, when is a woman most likely to get pregnant during her menstrual cycle? And a good proportion are saying any time because that's what we're saying <laughs> yeah. in school. We, we're, at school, we're trying to make sure they don't get pregnant. So we're saying you yeah. can't have unprotected sex at any time. So that is absolutely what people are going to think. And, and it's so great now for me to actually get the research done and hear people say, you know, this is what we were, we were taught. So yeah. of course you're going to think that and you're going to miss the boat. You're going to miss the <laughs> miss that 24 hours. The eggs are there for 24 hours. Um, so yeah, we've got a lot of work to do really. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for writing this book. And how can we get it? I mean, I, I live here in Nigeria. Where, how can I get book, the book or anybody so, else listening? So um, I'm not sure how you'll have access to Amazon, etc. Yeah, I have. Yeah. Yes, so I do. It is, it is available on Amazon. Um, I can also send people signed copies, but it's a little bit harder to get it overseas. And I'm not sure what the cost is to Nigeria. But uh, in um, for me to send a signed copy to um europe costs about eight pounds extra so okay. i think it might be easier in many ways to um order it on amazon um yeah. and other other bookstores as well um 
do do sell it so it's it's widely available but if anyone um want on my website joyceharper.com there is a, a a paypal button there that people can use and order it ah okay yeah all right it, perfect go that way yeah Perfect. Thank you. And to actually go back to the fertility education, the research you're doing and also interviewing teenagers at this point, uh, I know that you're one of the co-founders of fertility education in the UK. Why did you start the program and how has it been received? Yeah, so um, back about six, seven years ago, I was um, one of the um, executives of the British Fertility Society. And um, Adam Balin, who's a long-term colleague of mine, said uh, said one day we need to set up some fertility education <laughs> I was like, yeah yeah we are we are kicking ourselves why didn't we do this before and, you know I, I was writing the book at that time as well um so we got together with Jackie Bovin who's a psychologist and has done a huge amount of work on fertility education um so we've set up the UK group F- funding's always a problem so we haven't done a huge amount we've done some animations for teenagers um, but all of the research I'm doing is also part of this work. So we are doing a survey of teenagers in schools to ask them what they know and what their attitude is. So do they want children? And actually a, a huge number of saying they do want children. So that's really interesting. But also how would they like to learn about it? And you're not going to be surprised, but social media is coming out very obvious at the moment. Um, right, exactly. And I, actually, one one of the other questions is, um, do they do they want to talk to their parents? And mm-hmm. mostly they're saying no. But don't forget, these are now that the, the age we're asking is 16 to 18. And I've always felt that if you haven't had these conversations before that age, they're not going to want to start it then. Yeah. No, it's, it needs to be normalized through, through exactly. a, a family. Anyway, um, so we've, we've also done a survey asking women their attitudes and knowledge, and that's a paper I'm writing up at the moment. And we're, this year in the UK, we're doing a men's survey to ask men their views. Oh, nice. And I've also done um, two surveys asking men and women who are childless, but who had wanted children, who are now 46 and over. So... past the age most people would have children um and i've asked them um how do they feel uh about being childless so we've we've published one piece of that work um but then um we also very importantly um have ensured that fertility education and menopause is now on the uk curriculum so when we were established in 2016 it wasn't and the government um the Department for Education did a big piece of work around what should be in a new version. And we were really happy that um, we lobbied for this and fertility education and menopause is now in there. But now we've got a lot of work to do to really get that that rolled out in schools. Um, And then two years ago, we, I, I was at a conference on fertility education with some global experts. And we said, we, we really need to get together globally because pockets of work had been done. They've been quite a lot in Denmark. They've done quite a lot on fertility education, quite a bit in Portugal, but it's, it was sort of very scattered. So we, we got together a group of experts from around the world. Uh, we made a fertility education poster with nine things you should know if you want children in the future or kids in the future. Um, and it's been translated into over 30 languages. And the poster is really just to get the conversation going. 
But through that, we've now established the International Fertility Education Initiative. And we have two main areas of research. And one is to, to do the sort of surveys that I've done to evaluate people's knowledge and attitude and how they would like to learn. And the second aim is to then develop tools so that we can help deliver this information because it's not complicated information. It's, it's simple information we need yeah. to get, get across, but we want to work on preventing infertility and infertility, the need for infertility treatment. So that's, that's where the international group's heading in prevention. And I think for many people, if they know some basic information, we could certainly prevent some people ending up in a fertility clinic. Definitely. Because again, many times, even with periods coming back to periods again, sometimes we have painful periods. I always had extremely painful periods and I thought it was normal because everyone says, oh, it's just normal, just take painkillers. But now I realized it wasn't normal to have painful periods, but no one said that to me. So it's, it's really great to have you yeah. have those conversations. Absolutely. Especially. There's some key things that we can understand about uh, a woman's body and her menstrual cycle that can flag up that there may be a problem, you know, flagging up endometriosis, polycystic yeah. ovaries, etc. Um, you know, if your period's too long and too short, um, those things can really let us understand that there may be something wrong. And we should not hesitate about going and getting professional help in all of these situations. So I think in many countries, we do hesitate about going and we maybe feel embarrassed or feel that we don't understand that there may be something wrong. But the sooner we do that, because unfortunately, the average age of people in most fertility clinics is over 35 years. Yeah. And at that age, it gets very hard to get people pregnant. It really does. Um, so if we can move everything earlier and knowledge earlier, then we, we may be able to help many more people um, achieve a family and the family that they want to have. Wonderful. And it's great that, again, that you're doing this from the teenage years, but if there's anyone that's missed out, you know, they're already past high school, are you also doing this for young adults? Oh, absolutely. And the, the big um, realization we have as the international group is we have to tailor how we deliver this. So for example, with my book, I've aimed the book ideally at women aged about 20 to 30. Um, sure. Certainly younger women can read it, older women can read it, but that's sort of my ideal age. My big worry is that when a woman of 40 reads it, she's going to say exactly what I said, but I didn't know this. Why didn't yes. I know this before? So women of those sort of later fertility years who are now struggling to get pregnant um, are a really sensitive group. And we've got to be really careful how we tailor the education to them compared to, for example, an 18 year old man. Um, mm. That information is, so we're, we're trying to see how we can deliver that information. So, and, and teenagers, it's something that they might, might be thinking of, but they're not, they, they're not doing this tomorrow. So people mm. in their, 20s and 30s will want to be doing this sooner um so we've got you know sort of three broad groups that the, the younger people who are thinking of the future those who are in it right now and then those who are at the end and are really struggling and we would have to tailor education in very different ways so the book is the start for me 
um, actually in the fertility education poster, but now we've got a, a huge amount of work to do to really do this in the most sensitive way to different groups of people. Yeah, wonderful. And I love the fact that you also included the men because many times oh, you, never have, yeah, you never have men in these conversations. But it takes two to make a baby. <laughs> I, I, feel, I do feel a bit embarrassed because I'm in the Institute for Women's Health, but the main work of our institute is having families, having healthy families. And so I, I, we keep wondering yeah. why we should change the name. But, you know, <laughs> men, absolutely. And the, the book is aimed at women, but I want men to read it. I mean, even if we think of the menopause, you know, men have to understand the menopause. Exactly. Men have to understand the menstrual cycle. I mean, besides mm -hmm. even the, the physical issues of wanting to get pregnant or whatever, there's, uh, our hormones, our fertility hormones are incredibly strong and they absolutely affect women's mental health and how we behave. And it's really important for men to understand that, you know, if it's just before a woman's period, don't take it personally, you know? <laughs> just, I know. just stay away for a few days. Or be very nice to her for a few days, you know? But I, I know we're laughing, but it's true. It and is, I, think, yeah. I think for our relationships, it's really important. I mean, a lot of women going through the menopause, they sort of push aside their husbands and uh, the husbands can take this personally, but they, they need to just realise it's, you know, it's a, it's a very emotional time with these hormones yeah. going crazy in our bodies and that it's not personal. So apps and men, men's health with regards to fertility is incredibly important. There's a huge amount of data coming out now. If the, if the man's obese, if the man smokes and has an unhealthy lifestyle, um, has a huge effect on the health of our future child, not just also the success of getting pregnant, but also the long-term health of the future child. So they can't get away with it. They've, they've got to take, you know, embrace this as well, because obviously we all want to have healthy children. So yeah. it's re really important for, for men to understand the whole thing as well, for sure. Wonderful, and I even hear, even here in Nigeria that people say that uh, male factor infertility is also increasing globally and even here. So definitely great to see that uh, you're having that conversation with them. And uh, you mentioned that this is now, you also have an international aspect of the fertility education. Uh, and I know on your website, you said that you're, if people are interested, they can also reach out. So if there's anyone listening that is interested, maybe even here in Nigeria and trying to get that information out too, or trying to get that started here, what's the best way to communicate with you or express yeah, their interest? Uh, yeah, send me an email. Um, I've, I've, for years, I've just been using my university email, which is which is everywhere. But I've just set up a, an email um, called yourfertileyears at gmail.com, which will okay. just be things around fertility education. So they won't get lost in the hundreds of emails I normally have. <laughs> yeah. So if anyone is interested in this or wants to do any workshops or anything or set up a Nigerian fertility education initiative, then get in contact and we can certainly do that. So for example, I'm working very closely with Greece. We're doing the, the studies that I told you about, we're doing them um, on the Greek population as well, uh, because I think maybe how we deliver fertility education in Nigeria or India or Greece or UK might be different in different countries. Yeah. So we have different systems, 
you know, in some countries, like in the US, a woman will see her gynecologist every year. Um, right. So that's a really good time to teach them. Uh, in the UK, we have family planning clinics, but they're just about contraception. So we can work more closely with them and deliver fertility education as well. So there'll be different things in different countries. Um, yeah. So, you know, we need to set up a national committee. This is the aim of the international group, but we set up um, national committees in every country um, who look at the, their population and what's the best way to deliver that for them. Exactly. And especially even some, some cases, also the culture aspects of it as well could also. Absolutely. Uh, We're doing a lot of work about culture. Um, I have a PhD student who's looking at uh, religious and cultural views to fertility. Exactly. It's a, it's yeah. a huge thing for sure. Yeah. Thank you. And actually, again, part of your research, I'm really glad as well that you're including people that are childless, not by choice, because many times I think um, as much as everyone wants to and hopes to have a child at the end of the fertility journey, sometimes that's not the case. So it's important to include uh, this conversations as well and just to understand how people feel and how they can also get support. Yeah, so... Um being someone who felt like that I was going to be childless um yeah. I I've it's something that's really close to my heart and I do a lot of work with some amazing amazing people who have have are now childless um and they they really give back a lot and they, they do some brilliant things but I I did this I did the surveys of men and women who were childless um by circumstance to to right. ask them how how they felt and unfortunately most of them for the majority of them that that pain had not gone away it really had mm. not left them um but I, I felt it was really important discussion to have to to know but, but most of them did feel positive that they'd taken new things into their life and you know sort of rebuilt it without a family but they they still they still did have that longing to have a family now now in the uk certainly there are a number of people that um don't have children by choice uh, which is absolutely fine and, and that figure has definitely grown but we don't have an accurate figure we know 20 percent of women over 46 in the uk don't have children but we don't know how many of those they were by choice right. but it's it's interesting to ask the school children how many of them think that they they might not want to have children in the future? Um, so we're, we're gathering that data now. And I think that's going to be one of the key questions in different countries that will really vary. Um, it's, it's quite low and our data so far it is quite low, but I think some countries it might be higher. They, they might well change their mind for sure. Exactly. Um, yeah. Either way, either way. But um, these are all important questions to ask for sure. Yeah. And for young adults and teenagers that say today, I'm not really interested in having children. And that, of course, like I said, might change in the future. Um, how important is also to have conversations around preservation of uh, their fertility as well, then just in case they change their mind in the future? Yeah, yeah. so I've, I've always been a big fan of preserving our fertility, especially for women and egg freezing. And if it had been around when I was... 28 29 when i realized my partner wasn't ready mm -hmm. um i would have definitely frozen my eggs for sure if it had been here but it wasn't around then 
But what I really feel uncomfortable about now is um, we're doing quite a bit of research about the commercialization of fertility treatment. Right. And it's become a hugely controversial area. There, there are many companies and individuals who have made millions from mm. fertility treatment, which makes me feel, you know, re really hurt inside because they they've made this from uh, the patients who, 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 who made yeah. the millionaires. It was you know, us that are people that are trying to get pregnant who had to pay huge amounts of money for the treatment. So with egg freezing now, it's um, being marketed as the solution for young women who right. want to pursue their career. And I don't want people to end up in the fertility clinic, but if you freeze your eggs, you are going to end up in yeah. the fertility clinic. <laughs> um, it's very, very expensive. And the biggest problem is it's no guarantee so IVF in the UK for women under 35 is about a 30% success. So we have to think that even for young women, the majority of them won't get pregnant. And that's with fresh IVF. Now, I do think that in a good lab, a frozen egg should be as equal to a fresh. But um, it would worry me that people would use this as plan A. Okay, I'm going to go to university, I'm going to freeze my eggs, then I'm going to go and do all this job, then at 40, I'm going to come back and use my frozen egg and have three children. What if that, that froze, those frozen eggs then don't work? I think it, it makes me feel worried and uncomfortable. So I would prefer it. I, I say egg freezing should be plan B, not plan A. So I would prefer that plan A is that you will have try to have children naturally, at you know around the age of 30 to certainly get the ball rolling um and then if you're not in that situation at that time then freeze your eggs but not for it to become the norm i i, I would really feel uncomfortable if the majority of women that went to university all went off at graduation to the fertility clinic and froze their eggs well, so thank you yeah I think we we need to use this in the right way, um, not, you know, just paying all this money um, for a situation that hopefully they won't need to come to. Right. But I but I do think that I do worry. I, I when I give a talk at a conference, I normally finish my talk saying, "How will our you know next generation have children?" And I I do think that all of this technology in the future. My, my last chapter of the book is about the future. You know, will we have our brave new world where we have artificial wombs and maybe we make eggs from stem cells? You know, the people are trying desperately to make eggs from, from our stem cells, or you could use some skin, for example, and do various zaps and things and make, make some eggs. So I think in 20, 30 years, I think fertility will be very, very different. Wow, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> yeah, don't keep this all. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier that there are nine things that on your poster it said that you sh you want people to know. So, can you share some of those nine things that you want? Yeah, I'll just I'll just share some of the key ones. So, um, starting from the very beginning, um, our preconception health I've already mentioned is really important. So I, I, I'm not a fan of any fad diets or 
a magic supplement or anything that anyone should take. I think people just need to balance their, their well-being, you know, eat a good, healthy diet, do moderate exercise, you know, make sure they're in a really good place uh, before they start trying to have children for both the man and the woman. But I think that what's the most probably important thing is that our female fertility declines significantly after the age of 35. So it's really important that if you want to have children, ideally plan A should be to really start trying around about the age of 30. Um, and if, 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 it, if you are trying later, I think as soon as you have had a few months and you've not got pregnant you really should get the get things moving with some tests so we say if you're under 35 the majority of women 90 percent of women should be pregnant within the first year if they're not then they need to go for tests but we say if you're over 35 only leave it up to six months just don't wait there when you're over 35 literally every month counts because the quantity and quality of a woman's eggs starts to decline. And the success rate of IVF, so if you look at any data from any country, the success rate of IVF rapidly goes down over the age of 35. So it's not just affecting natural fertility, it's also affecting fertility treatment you may have. So that's that's really, really important. Um, so that those are sort of the you know, two, two really important things that people need to know. But the third most important thing is that you have intercourse at the right time. Yeah. So um, we're doing a lot of work around fertility apps and period tracker apps. Um, and I think some of them give some really useful information. But we, we've already published a study where we looked at over 600,000 menstrual cycles and looked at the characteristics. And Women don't ovulate on day 14. So this is what <laughs> yeah. a woman's going to ovulate on day 14. Well, that's just not true. Okay. Um, some women will, yeah. but the, the, the studies we've done and other people have also confirmed is that it's nearer, nearer day 16 to 17. Most women are ovulating around day 16 or 17. So um, a, a fertility tracker that doesn't look, looking at your dates doesn't really tell you anything, but looking at your basal body temperature or your cervical mucus or using one of the ovulation sticks, you can get them anywhere now really cheap and they will check your hormones and tell you when you're going to be ovulating. They will really help you. And there are some fertility apps where you measure these things and you put them in the app and the app will learn about your cycle. So if you're trying to get pregnant, I always tell people, you know, my, my easiest suggestion is to use these um, ovulation sticks and mm -hmm. find out when you're ovulating. And if you also, if you then are having problems and you haven't got pregnant, this is great data to take to your fertility specialist. They can see, okay, actually you are always having a 19 day cycle, you know, or you're always having a 38 day cycle, you know, those sorts of things they can, I can see your history about your menstrual cycle, which is really important information. So we know that women who are, you know, around about 28 days, it doesn't have to be every 28 days, 
but sort of anything from 21 to 35 is, is okay. But if it's really short or really long, or if it's moving all over the place every month, that's really important for us to know. Thank so you. those are the sort of highlights. Uh, but you can you can download the poster either from globalwomenconnected.com or Fertility Europe. Fertility Europe have the posters there as well. Um, and it's, they're really easy to get. So, yeah, you can download them in different languages and, um, you know, just use them however you want. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. Thank you. I mean, we, uh, English is the first language here, so it'll be perfect. So we'll just, uh, we can download it and easily access it. So uh, another question for you, actually, since you said so much about, you know, fertility education and educating teenagers and younger adults, if you could go back in time to your 22-year-old self or 23, what would you tell her? Okay, so um, that was around the time I started working in the field. I was 25 when I started working in the field. Um, so I, I learned really quickly my, myself about those important points. But if I hadn't, I would have wanted to know what I've just told you, the three key things. Um, but what I would have told myself, even with all this knowledge and being in the field, um, when I became single at 32, I should have really concentrated then on trying to find a partner and trying to get pregnant then and waiting those three years. So when you're in your 30s, each year has a significant effect and there are some people that say oh it's just uh, anti-women they're trying to get everyone to have babies and not pursue their career or their social life but as I said you can look at the world data on fertility treatment uh, UK USA wherever it will show you the same thing um, and if you end up in a fertility clinic and you're 36 it's not a good place to be. So um, I, I wished that I had tried to get more, be more proactive in getting pregnant when I was younger than waiting till I was 35. And life goes very, very quick. Yeah. And I shouldn't have wasted those years. They were key years, really key years. Well said. Many times I look back as well and say certain things happen, especially when I had surgeries and my ovaries. And I say, oh, I wish I'd known because that was very important to make a decision right away then. And I wasn't aware that those kind of surgeries could have such a long-term impact, so. Yeah, exactly. So I would say it's time. We've got to be very aware of our time. Yeah, thank you. And as a wrap up, any words of encouragement or final words for anyone listening, going through fertility issues? Or... Um, I, I think that um, there's always a lot to learn. I think in life generally, there's always a lot to learn. I love always learning something. And I think just try and read as much as you can and really be informed about your fertility. So unfortunately, there are some things that are not quite correct out there with everything we read online I'm sure mm -hmm. everyone's aware yeah. mm -hmm. um so there is a, a lot about saying you should as I said this supplement that supplement this this treatment that treatment um, I think just be sensible to take on board um the information that you read or you hear and then do what's right for you so we're all different everyone's an individual and we don't have one size fits all so you have to do what's right for you and what you feel co comfortable with and you and your partner feel comfortable with. 
So listen, read, and think about what's right for you. Thank you so much. It's been amazing having you on here, Professor Happer. Thanks so much for your time, for your insight, for such an informative and educative session. Uh, I have learned a lot and I'm sure every other listener has also learned so much from you today. And we'll be rushing out to get your book. I want the signed copy. So I have an address in the UK <laughs> that you can send it to. So uh, we hope that uh, we can get the spiritual education and all your international initiatives replicated all around the world because everyone needs to know better about their fertility and the younger generation definitely needs to have it better than we did. So thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you. you. Have a wonderful day. Thank Thank you. you. And you. Thanks for joining us this week on the Fertility Conversations podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star rating and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at Fertility Conversations. If there are any topics you would like to have discussed, please send an email to fertilityconversations at gmail.com. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode. Thank you again for listening. Take care of yourself and do stay hopeful.